You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. My darling, I got to tell you, I'm always thrilled to speak to you. So Jeremy's boyfriend and me and my boyfriend are good friends. But when we walk down the street, I do talk to Jeremy more. And Addison <laughs> and Arvon are kind of like the grown-ups. And me and Jeremy yes. are kind of like the kids who are like, oh, let's get candy. And the other guys are like, no, let's get coffee. Oh, let's get candy and coffee. Exactly. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. And welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honoured and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. My guest today is Jeremy O. Harris. It's hard to know where to begin an introduction to Jeremy because to me, he is a force that has such diverse impact. It feels limiting to say specifically what he does or who he is. 
And actually part of this fundament seems to be challenging the way in which we quantify a lot of things. So it's probably right that I don't know what to say. He is definitively the author of the highly acclaimed Slave Play, which has become the most nominated non-musical play in the history of the Tonys with 12 nominations. I won't say explicitly what the play is about because you should see it or find it and read it and think, but the super redux version is that it addresses themes of sexuality and racial trauma in America. Out magazine called him the queer black saviour theatre needs. I would rejoin and edit that to say, he is the queer black saviour we all need. And if systems are crumbling, as they surely seem to be, voices like Jeremy's are the ones I'd like to hear loudest during the rebuild. He writes under different names, he explores different mediums of art, acting, playwriting, screenwriting, producing, and as a person and a rare talent at the forefront of a new generation of emerging artists, he is dismantling the idea of personal success and fame being the endgame by using carved-out fees from big deals in fashion and in television to establish funds and micro-grants for theatres and libraries. He is quite literally lifting up and creating opportunities for others in his community and beyond. Whenever I talk to him, I feel like I am talking to the future. A super tall, hot, progressive future. Correct me, Jeremy, if I'm wrong, but I believe Slave Play became the most nominated Tony in the history of the Tonys. <laughs> it's the most nominated Tony ever. Um, it's the most nominated Tony ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's a Tony that has been nominated so many times, its name is now Anthony. <laughs> Slave Play was nominated more times than any other. Than any other play. I think Hamilton has the most of any, like, thing. But that's because musicals cheat and can have more, you know. Yeah, they musicals cheat. <laughs> they, they, you, it's like best score, best book, best orchestrations. Like, we don't get those. So. Now, what relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? Oh, that's so good. Um, I mean, I'm probably so dark. It's probably like, you know, the young girl and the soldier in Blasted, the Sarah Kane play. Like, oh <laughs> really dark. Oh, my God. I mean, I really, really, really love Magnolia. I really love Earl Partridge and his wife that Julianne Moore plays. She married this guy for money. And then as he's dying, she realizes how much she loves him. That is kind of what being in love is like for me. Obviously, adore this person. You're able to be in public, the face of the adoring partner. But in private moments, you're like, oh, wow, you're smelly. You touch me all the time. You do, you know, whatever the thing is. And then like, you know, the minute that you shut the bathroom door, you're like, where are they? I need their warmth again, you know, because there's something about human beings where like you kind of want to nip at the person that's closest to you. It's like what we do with our parents, you know, and the minute that you've gotten someone into your trust circle, you do in your mind convince yourself that they're not everything you want. And the minute that they're about to leave or they could go, that's when you wanted the best. And I think that part of the work of being a good partner and a good person in love is to minimize the moments of nipping that are natural and normal mm. and lean into who you are to the world and lean into who you are when they're about to leave in those moments when it's just you two lying in bed. So do you think that the specter of loss is then part of the defining factor of love for you? The idea that that person will be lost to you or could be lost to you, but ultimately will be lost to you, is actually what gives love a shape. 
Yes, I actually think that having a recognition that this person could be gone at any second should be the founding principle of any love match that you're in or any healthy relationship, because that that would mean that you would treat it a little bit better. You wouldn't take it for granted. And I think that often we we take people for granted because we think that we're going to be eternal, you know? But even when I think about the fact that 30 years feels like it's passed so quickly, I'm just like, I'm going to be out of here. Even if I live to 70 or 80, you know, I'm going to be out of here in a moment. I know it's a heartbeat. It's a heartbeat. Maybe that's also this time. I don't know about you, but since this pandemic, I felt like time has stretched. It's time slowed down time stopped being this thing that I was always chasing after and actually became so present because all of the distraction and all of those branches that were really a lot of dead wood kind of were cut away. But also, don't you feel like those three months at the very top of the year felt like forever, like at the very top of quarantine? For sure. Well, now I think about it from right now, I do. But at the time, it felt like days were stretchy. It felt like 9 a.m. lasted until... For It felt like every moment was every conversation, everything that we cooked, everything that we ate, every embrace. Yes. It felt distilled, you know? You couldn't really have written it and it been believable or been anything other than sort of Ryan Murphy kind of giant you, you'll never believe this. Here, let me put on a giant show for you. It's actually so Ryan Murphy. It's like, it's Ryan Murphy and Shonda Rhimes actually doing a crossover episode. It really is. It's, it's, yeah. it is, it's, it's them just <laughs> passing back a script over a weekend <laughs> and each of them perhaps drinking slightly more than the other with each new draft exactly. and it's getting more and more insane and more and more ridiculous. <laughs> AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. All right, darling. So can you tell me in your life about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? I mean, there's been so many things. But I think the thing, and I know this because I went to this amazing healer, and the woman was like, wow, what happened when you were 19? Like, it's still living in your body. She was like, it feels like a big trauma. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. That was the year that I got cut from drama school. Whoa. You know, I went to this drama school. They accepted 52 kids. Only 26 got to stay. I liked it because it sounded like Survivor or Big Brother or something. Like, they turned (laughs) training to be an actor into The Bachelor. And so I was really excited because I worked my ass off. And, like, I had done the math. I was like, great. Inside of my section, I'm in the top 5%. If they're cutting half of us, I can't be cut from my section. But there are five Black men here. And amongst them... I'm definitely the weirdest one. So either they're going to want me because I'm the weirdest one, or they're going to be like, even though he's one of the best, he's going to get cut because he's really weird. So I just did everything I could to de-weird myself over the year. So I came to school with like really long hair. I cut off all of my hair, like halfway through the year to do this like radical transformation. And, you know, I worked really hard and I was still one of the people that got cut. And some of the cruelest things that have ever been said to me were said to me when I was 18 years old about why I was cut. Same was true of other actors. And you know how this is. Like, these people are working with people at the beginning of their development into young adults. And, like, decide to say just the heinous things to them because they can. And because heinous things are said to them. They used to have a whittling down every year. And we were a part of the lucky community because they stopped whittling people down second and third year. So it was just like one cut instead of multiple. I think that is so hideous because it means you can never actually relax. It's like the hunger games. It's like you totally know that there's a guillotine hanging above your head every day that you go to school. I mean, what a dreadful way to try and learn. Yeah. One of my closest friends there, Erica, who also got cut, you know, she had come from a school where she had never done a play before in her life. She got into a drama school having never done a play before in her life. Wow. And she got into more than one. For me, it's like, let that girl get in. Like, she just gets to stay for all four years because like, what the fuck? But she came from a really rough community and she wasn't used to going to a room with a bunch of white kids and crying. Wow. 
She's like, I don't cry in front of people. You don't do that. She's in these classes with all these kids, many of whom come from privilege, who are able to weep on command all the time about anything. <laughs> and her teachers are like, you feel too hard. You don't want to share yourself. She's like, no one's giving me a reason to cry. Like, give me a scene. I'll do that then. <laughs> I'm not just going to sit and cry and gossip with you. Anyway, that was really difficult for me. And I'll never forget that one of my professors told me, she's like, well, Jeremy, you're just not castable. Yeah, she's like, you have the face of a child, a body of the man. You won't be cast until you're at least 35, 40. So you should think about going to grad school for acting. And right now, you know, you seem to like writing. So do that. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? But it's incredible because of what did come out of that. Well, yeah, because I immediately decided I was going to prove to her I could be castable. So I got cast in like every major show that was happening in Chicago at the time. And then two years later, I moved to LA. And that was when I started telling people I was a writer, which is what they had told me at school. And my entire identity changed after that. It's so extraordinary. I think I overuse the matrix as a reference point, sort of touchstone (laughs) in my life. But I do often think like, you know, the scene where he goes to see the Oracle and she tells him he's not the one. Mm -hmm. I just think that those moments in our lives where life is telling you, no, it's absolutely not you. It's not you at all. They are the moments out of which the most grows because you have to disagree with it in order to carry on in a way, or you have to become something else. Yes. I was the only kid in my class to graduate from drama school without an agent. You know, it was just me and my mom and all these other kids standing with their agents and their parents after the last performance with like warm white wine. And I was like, everyone has an agent here except me. And my mom was like, well, I don't have an agent either. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, That's literally something my mom would say to me. Yeah. I mean, it was really hard and it was really harsh. I think it's really interesting though, that the people who were so unsupportive of you as an actor told you that you were a writer and that you should go and do that. And the fact that you actually did go and do that. And now you can be an actor, you can be a writer, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I like it when the people who were apparently limiting us were actually giving us exactly what we needed to grow. Yes. Yes. It's everything. Were you a student when you wrote Slave Play? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, Jeremy. Basically, Slave Play haunted all three years of my graduate degree. Because in my first year, I started working on it and writing it. And then my second year, we put it up in the fall. And there was a big fallout with the administration and a lot of my professors who like really hated the play and wow. sort of tortured me. And then the next half of the year, I was trying to get some of the people who were really messed up about that fire. Um, and then in my third year, I wrote a thesis <laughs> play about how that experience had been the worst thing ever while the play was going up in the city. What was the central beef that they had with your play? Well, it was mainly a power thing, which is one of the reasons why it was most frustrating and really jarring, because it had very little to do with the actual like nuts and bolts of my play, as I could see vis-a-vis their relationship to the other work that was happening around me. It was more so the fact that they told me to cut 20 minutes out of the play. And I said, I don't want to do that. That note doesn't make sense to me. And they said, well, we're telling you to do this. And it was about like this power thing. And I think the more I dug in my heels and was like, no, I think that's a bad note. The more angry they got. And it was just like this battle of wills that ended with a professor yelling at me and sending me really heinous emails and just having like a full mental spiral. Do you think it made you connect? It forced you to connect with the thesis of the play even more because you were defending it so profoundly. Do you think that you you kind of bonded with your play more because of that extreme conflict? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think it made me bond with the performers, especially the performer playing Kanisha a lot. At Yale, it was played by this woman named Antoinette Crow Legacy, who's an amazing actress. And obviously, as you've, you've been to drama school, you know that when someone's actually just doing a power play, they'll change their tactics really well. And so the tactic became, well, it's not about the 20 minutes in that part so much. It's just that those 20 minutes are so bad that the ending's the worst thing I've ever seen. I can't believe this actress is doing this. If you're not going to change those 20 minutes, you have to change the ending. And so I tried to change the ending. And I came back and this actress was like, why are you changing this? Your play is saying this to me. She said something to the room about her character and why she understood what was happening in the play that was like my secrets for why I had written the play. It felt like someone was naming all the reasons why I had written the play from the point of view of acting in this thing. And so I felt so immediately um, tied to work. Vindication, yeah. Yeah, and it also made me know that at the end of the day, great performers and a great ensemble are more important than teachers, no matter how many, you know, MacArthur... Pulitzer, OBs, they've won. You know what I mean? Well, you'd think that. But by the way, speaking as someone who's worked with extraordinarily collaborative people and then slightly more autocratic (laughs) directors and producers, I must say that uh, it's very refreshing to hear you say that, Jeremy, Um, because it is a collaboration. You're all working towards the same thing. And I, I think sometimes actors certainly get the reputation that it's really just about self-aggrandizement and I really just want a bigger soliloquy as opposed to no best idea wins. Yes. And I love because you're a writer and an actor and a director and a kind of conceiver of art that you recognize that. I feel vindicated as an actor knowing that you say what you bring and when you're inside a character, you can sometimes give a perspective that is unique because you're living inside your particular piece of this greater piece of work. One of the things that's most invigorating about getting all of these Tony nominations is that 12 Tony nominations have very little to do with Jeremy O'Harris writing this play, right? And everything to do with the community of people around this play that I wrote. Those things really matter to me because the family that we made with this play was really tight and we listened really well to each other. And I think what's really exciting about the Tonys is that everyone's seeing James Gusadi Moyer, Jakina Kalakungo, Annie McNamara, Shalia Latour, Aji Blanks and Wood, Lindsay Jones, uh, Gigi, Dee Dee, Clint and Robert, and not to mention like Paul Sullivan and Irene, who were the three actors of our eight that didn't get nominated, but who obviously, in a play that gets 12 nominations, they're so being celebrated as well. The community saying like, no, you guys really came together and you fought for each other. And that makes me so happy because Irina and Shalia were in the first reading of this play. Wow. So just wanted to say that Slave Play also did something really extraordinary. Jeremy insisted on there being a subsidized ticket program so that when you would go to buy a ticket, you would be also able to buy a ticket for someone who maybe couldn't afford to go to the theater. And what that did for the community and the anomaly that that was, I really genuinely hope becomes a normal practice on Broadway, in the West End, in every theater-loving city in the world. It was extraordinary the amount of first-time ticket buyers or theater goers who went to see Slave Play because they were able to. What that speaks to about community and what that speaks to about what the theater is always purporting to be about, which is about coming together and telling the stories of our community for the community, that was one of the most amazing, I mean, beyond the, the extraordinary impact of the play and what it forced us all to 
meditate on and think about and talk about forever is that notion of community for me and availability to everybody, not just to the famous people, the rich people, the white people, but to everybody. It's an incredibly special play for so many reasons. When I hope that it stops being an anomaly and actually just becomes, you know, the norm. Same. I mean, it's really nice to be an anomaly because it means you're special, you're one of a kind. But when being one of a kind means that you're like opening the doors for more people, then it's not fun. You want to know that more people are doing that so that this thing you love, A, can survive and B, can be experienced by as many people as possible. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. What person, place, or experience has most altered your life? Well, I think... I think because she's constantly altering the direction of my life, it would have to be my mom mm. because she had me when she was 19 and came to a community that does not have very many opportunities for people of color, especially women of color, and worked really hard to siphon off as many opportunities as she could for me, even if that meant denying herself certain opportunities. And so 
that's why I think she's most altered my life. She put me in the private schools that she couldn't afford to send me to. She's always sounded like an extraordinary person. She's the absolute bee's knees and Mm. I wouldn't be the person I am now without her. Um, I love that. I love that. I'm glad it's your mum. So here we go. I would like you to please tell me where and when you were happiest. This is really, it's actually really funny because I just answered this question for GQ and and for some reason felt like a fake answer at the time. But the more I think about it, the more real it sounds in my head. I think I felt the happiest when I was at McDowell in New Hampshire, which is where I went when I was 26 year old. It's where I decided I was going to go to grad school. And it was where I really, for the first time in my life, felt like an artist because I'd been welcomed into this historic colony of artists. For people who don't know, McDowell is the oldest artistic commune in the country. James Baldwin wrote Giovanni's Room there. Oh my God. ta Coates wrote there. The Color Purple is written there. I'm naming only the Black people. Like Leonard Bernstein went there. And it's artists of all disciplines. It's painters, writers, composers, playwrights. And are you endowed with this? Are you invited? Are you singled out and invited? No, you're not invited. You apply. So it's an application process. It's highly competitive. So many writers I know haven't gotten in. And it's a place that's really rare because you can be there with someone who's won four Pulitzer Prizes. You know, Michael Chabin can be there with someone who's only written a short play, which is what I had done. Like, I'd only written a 30-minute play. I had no real credits. I just had good recommendations. And you tell them what you want to write while you're there. And I told them I wanted to write this play called Daddy. And so I got there, you know, and I'm sitting at a table with the likes of Michael Almereda and Adrian Nicole LeBlanc. And I was like, wait, what? It was, it was really lovely. But I think that there was a moment there when I had such insane imposter syndrome. Because, you know, I started out as an actor. I didn't start out as a playwright. And I lived in L.A. for six years sort of telling people I was a playwright because I didn't want to tell people I was an actor. And then one day someone was just like, well, are you actually a writer? And I was like, I think I am. <laughs> and then I started writing, but I still felt like I was tricking people, right? Like that I was illegitimate. And meanwhile, I'm telling my mom, who's working three jobs to support herself, my sister, and me, well past the age that people get supported where I am come from. There's no idea of the young artist who gets help from their mom at 24 to help pay their rent, right? My mom is doing something that's like a huge anomaly for our community. And I keep promising her, like, I promise you, mom, if you just help me out one more time, it's going to work out. Just give me a few more years, another month. Like, if I don't figure it out by the time I'm 30, I'll go back to school and become a lawyer or something. And so I was there. I had all this imposter syndrome. And then one day someone was talking about something and someone turned to me and like, Jeremy, what do you think? And I was like, well, I think this, I don't know if you've ever read this thing. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but everyone at the table was like, wow, oh my God, that's so impressive. (laughs) So that's so great. And it like changed the course of the thing. Everyone started asking me more questions about what I just said. And in that moment, I realized, whoa, like I'm really here. And I went outside to have a cigarette and Adrian Nicole LeBlanc, who is the MacArthur Genius Grant winning writer of Random Family, came up to me and was like, that was so beautiful what you just said back there. And I was like, it's so weird. Everyone here feels so beyond me. Like, I don't know that I can even catch up with where they are in the world. And the fact they care about what I have to say is so weird. And she's like, why is it weird? We're all sitting at the same table. Hmm. In that moment, I think I felt so happy because it felt like this thing I've been promising my mom, that like hmm. my difference 
admit that I was that I was a part of a community of artists was finally affirmed, right? All of our hard work was affirmed in that moment. So do you feel a sense of belonging and the vindication of everything that your mom had believed in you and put into you qualifies that happiness? Yes, it shapes that happiness 100%. I love that, Jeremy. I'm looking at the Barack Obama book right now. Oh, yeah, he's so handsome. (laughs) he's so handsome he's so handsome and so kind and i love his wife so much it's almost like they're superheroes i do i I put them in the same category i really want to interview him because he's been saying some really interesting things recently like what he did this interview about his book he was just like talking about how crazy the republican party has gotten now he's like you know there's just so much crazy stuff you know one minute they're saying hillary clinton is running a pedophile ring and the next minute they're saying that joe biden is a socialist like who are these people and it's just like i get what he's trying to say but also like <laughs> saying joe biden is a socialist it's not as egregious an idea as someone running a pedophile ring but the fact that those two things are in the same level in that anecdote said something Freudian and I'm just like someone needs to mind this because you also (laughs) came out of the gate as like you know this wild progressive and yet like he's aligning himself so often with the centrists in our parties in ways that I find he definitely doesn't have to unless that's just really how he feels in which case it makes me a little sad but I want to challenge him on some of that oh my god I so now want to hear the Jeremy O'Harris Barack Obama interview I think that would be really good because I also want to talk to him about sex because he's a Leo so he walks around (laughs) with pelvis first you know he has like a real like BDE about him which I think is the most attractive thing and I just kind of want to talk to him about, like, I was like, but you were a nerd. But when did you start getting late? Like, was it in college or was it in grad school? Like, when did you start to know your sexual power? When did your nerd get its freak on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. God, I want to know that now too. I didn't even know I wanted to know that until you just said that. Now I'm going to think about it a lot. I mean, it's kind of hot and also feels naughty. Yes. And in his book, apparently he talks about how he used to say the word fag in the 70s. And I want to be like, but did you ever make out with a guy? Because you feel like you did. <laughs> it's so funny here we are kind of venerating obama and like putting him on this pedestal and meanwhile you're like did you kiss a guy because i feel like you did yes (laughs) that's what we all really want to know come on i can't wait to see you again i can't wait to see you again and i thank you with all my heart for doing this i'm i'm thrilled about the idea of everything that you are going to do it makes me it makes me happy thank you In closing, I would like to tell you that Jeremy co-wrote this movie, Zola, with Janixa Bravo, based on tweets by Isaiah King. Janixa also directed the movie, and it's out June 30th by A24. This woman, Isaiah King, tweeted in real time an experience she decided to be a part of. And I won't give anything away, but it is It's an extraordinary premise, and I really cannot wait to see the finished film. It premiered at Sundance last year. Jeremy also is adapting with Aziza Barnes, Britt Bennett's novel, The Vanishing Half, which I also can't wait to see. And that will also be out later this year. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music, by Aaron Kaufman. 
Executive produced by me and Mangesh Hatikado. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.